Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. For the word this morning? Let me show you what makes me a millionaire. You got a picture, actually, probably a billionaire. Um, That right there. The older and the longer I've lived, that is what makes me rich. Uh, and uh, to understand that is to understand what it means to be a parent and have a family. And to know that uh, uh, blessed is the man whose quiver is full. And uh, my quiver continues to... In- oh, you didn't get it. Uh, and so last week I tried to talk to you and, and talk to you a little bit after Sean preached a great message on children. Um, Uh, I try to talk to you about how it is that children are arrows in the hands of warriors. That children are weapons of mass destruction. They really are. If you don't believe me, come to my house on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, Children are weapons of mass destruction. That God gives children and he says they are arrows. That if an arrow is pulled and aimed properly, it can destroy the power of the enemy. And that our greatest weapon are the children that we raise so that they can withstand the powers of darkness that lie in the future. And that if you don't raise children in the way of the Lord, if all you are is faced with your own narcissistic issues, you never realize that the way to destroy generational curses is to train up a child in the way they should go. That children are our secret weapon. That children are the weapons of mass destruction. That what we do back there in the back is not babysit you so that it's them so you can have a great time. What we do back there is to try to hand to them the very foundations and the values of the faith. Number one, you teach them the Ten Commandments. Number two, you teach them the Lord's Prayer. Are you listening to me? Number three, you teach them what it means to be baptized into the community of faith. And you teach them how to continue to come back and say thank you. You teach them the very basic values, not the pet peeves of the current generation. Not those little things. I have people all the time say, what do we stand for? I stand for God. I stand for God. I stand for Jesus Christ. That's what I stand for. I stand that every person is loved by God, forgiven by God, and has value in front of God. If we teach them the very basics of our faith, Then they become arrows, weapons of mass destruction, and they can withstand evil in the day of their own generation. Amen? That's why it is so valuable that we worship with them. I realize you think all this looks like chaos. It really isn't. It's that opportunity for you to model in front of your children how it is that you worship. And if you're talking about the pizza you had last Tuesday, when we're going... Are you listening to me? I've said it. I'm going to continue to say it. When we step in here to worship, it's not old homes week. When we step here to worship, it's about one thing, him. And let me tell you, if you're visiting while we're worshiping, you're distracting. It is not them that are distracting. It is the conversations that we have in lieu of the opportunity of worship. I want to encourage you. Do your visiting in the foyer before you step in here. Or do your visiting once we stop at the end of the service. Because your children are watching you talk about pizza on Tuesday. And I'm trying to create weapons of mass destruction 
to destroy the powers of the enemy in the 22nd century. When I grab my grandchildren, I realize I'm going to have influence into the 22nd century because I'm going to live at least until 2050. (laughs) You ready for the word this morning? In keeping with next generation, I want to talk about fathers, two fathers, with mothers this morning. And if you'll stand with me for the reading of the word, I'm going to read three pieces of scripture. I'm going to read out of the Old Testament, and then I'm going to read an epistle, and then I'm going to read one verse out of a gospel. Malachi chapter 4, and this is the end of the Old Testament. God's going to be silent for 400 years after he says this. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I will send you another prophet like Elijah before the coming of the great and dreadful judgment of God. His preaching will bring fathers and children together again. Let me say it again. His preaching will bring fathers and children together again of one heart and one mind. Then Romans chapter 8 verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. And then one verse out of the Gospel of St. John chapter 20 verse 17. Then Jesus said, Do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to my Father. But go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Father, I pray this morning for the next few minutes in this conversation that my lips would be anointed with your Spirit that I might speak the unrestricted Word, the living God. And that that Word would touch the hearts of men and women and they would burn with fire with the potentiality that they too could walk as Christ did on this earth. I pray this morning that every demonic limitation that would cause us to be less than we were created to be would be broken. And that, Lord, we would soar to the heights of eagles and see things we have never seen before. In this name I pray, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, amen and amen. You may be seated. Look at your neighbor and say, we're no longer orphans. Oh, look at your other neighbor. We're no longer orphans. He came to give us a spirit of adoption. We are no longer orphans. A few days ago, I began to realize that tweeting has taken the place of good teaching. Tweeting. Most people read tweets rather than listen to good sermons. You see, tweeting will never transform your life, but a good story. A good story can change your life. How many remember a good story? You've heard a great story and you remember a good story. Well, this morning I'm going to tell you two or three stories about dads. I'm going to tell you two or three stories about sons because I really believe that stories are what hold our lives together. Uh, A number of years ago I told this story and I didn't tell it on Father's Day. And then as I told it I realized it's a good Father's Day story. And uh, Father's Day has been hard for me. It's been hard for me for years because my dad went to be with the Lord at a very young age and I was young and so we'd come around to Father's Day and it really wasn't a very special day uh, for me. And, uh, but I, I was telling this story in conjunction with something and it dawned on me that it's a Father's Day story. I ran away from home at 17. 
Uh, I was silly, had lots of reasons for that, but I ran away from, I left Severy, Kansas, and drove to Buford, South Carolina. Anybody know where Buford, South Carolina is? You gotta say it like that. And I had a cousin there that was in the Marines, and I was going to join the Marines and solve all my problems. And every Marine said, hoo-wah. So I drove to Buford, South Carolina, got in there about 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the middle of the night, and crashed on my cousin's couch. And about 7 in the morning, I woke up and there was this familiar voice that I could hear in the kitchen. Is the voice of my father. And I could hear my daddy in the other room talking to my cousin, and I remember laying on that couch thinking, what am I going to do now? And I sat up on the side of that couch, and I was holding my head in my hands, and pretty soon I could hear my daddy walk into the room, and he picked up this chair, and he put that chair right in front of me. But now I'm crying. What am I going to say, right? And my dad reached out and put his hands on my knees. He said, son, there's nowhere you'll go that I won't be able to find you. There's nowhere you'll go that I won't come after you. That moment changed my life. Changed my life at that moment. It's taken me a lifetime. I'm 63 or will be in a few weeks. Uh, and uh, at that, that moment, I'm still unpacking it in the value of it. it, it it's that moment through which I have seen the of the lens and understood the Father and continue to understand how great the Father's love is that He sent His Son to represent Him to save me. And I realize this morning some of you didn't have a good dad and for that I apologize but I want you to know that even, even after my father went home to be with the Lord, God gave me spiritual fathers. And Brother Crane, uh, Anita's uh, father-in-law, Brother Crane Brother Lloyd Crane became a spiritual dad of mine. It's why Anita and I and Dale know each other. It's why I'm here this morning is because Brother Crane was a spiritual father. This man by the name of Simmons, Jesse Simmons, and he was a spiritual dad to Annie and I both in, in many ways. He's, they both with the Lord. And then Brother Jerry, who's still living, some of you would know Brother Jerry, he would be a spiritual father to me. And there's Bishop, Bishop Wayne Busada. If you will stop and get over the bitterness of how your earthly father may have failed you, you'll realize that God always places spiritual fathers in your life. Whether you receive them or not, they are there shaping and molding and doing things in your life. And I'm so grateful for not only my dad, but for those spiritual fathers. And you may not have any children, but can I tell you, you can still be a father. You can still shape and mold the lives of other people. You see, everything in the arc of humanity, the entire history of humanity, God has used fathers and sons to make known who He is. That everything that God is has been passed on by fathers handing it to their children. Adam told what he knew about God to his children. He told all he understood about God to his children. And the knowledge of God was passed. Noah took all that he had and passed it to his sons. You have to understand that Job, even after he lost everything, fathered 20 more children and passed the story of God to his children. That Abraham passed it to Isaac. Isaac passed it to Jacob. Jacob passed it to Joseph and his other sons. And that the story of God is passed from father to son. And as it's passed through father to son, then it's passed from Moses to Joshua. It, it, it's passed on to David and to his sons. 
We open up the New Testament and we see Zacharias before the presence of God and God says you're going to have a son and you're going to call him John. That Joseph has a dream and says Mary's going to have a son and you're going to name him Jesus. That we understand that Jairus' daughter is alive today because Jairus stood in the gap for his child. That God has always made himself known through this father-son reality. And so we hear at the end of the Old Testament that God said there's a prophet that's coming in the spirit of Elijah and he will bring fathers and children back together. If there was ever a moment that that was still needed, it's today. We still need fathers and children to be restored together. And he finishes the Old Testament and he grows silent. And the next thing we hear is you will conceive and bear a son. And you will call his name Jesus. And that's the opening of the New Testament. It's the story or the retelling of the story. And 30 years later, we see the heavens open up and the spirit of the Lord descend on a dove upon the Christ. And the voice of the father from heaven goes, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And God has sent his son. The invisible father has manifested himself in the form of a human being, called him his son, and said, listen to him. He's going to tell you of me. And Jesus, the son, lived in the acknowledgement of his father for the next three and a half years. Jesus, the son of the living God, would do miracle signs and wonders, and he would be crucified on a cross and raised on the third day, all in the power of the acknowledgement of the Father that you are my beloved son. I've been talking to you about that word acknowledgement. Have you ever been acknowledged by a parent? See, if you're acknowledged by a parent, you know who you are. It is fathers that acknowledge this is my son. There are so many people running around today trying to find themselves. They're trying to find out who they are. Listen, you never find out your identity on your own. Your identity is given to you by your father. And in the acknowledgement of who he was and is, Jesus was able to do all that he was called to do. Because knowing who and whose you are empowers you to fulfill that which you are called to do and to be. Uh, I'm, maybe, maybe I ought to put it this way. I have two sons and two daughters. And I'm just going to pick on one. Uh, uh, Stephen cannot deny he's my son. I'm just telling you. He gets up in the mirror and he doesn't have to try to look like me. He does look like me. Now he's praying he holds on to that head of hair. Uh, and I am too. But I promise you, if you look at pictures when I had hair, uh, Stephen doesn't try to get up and act like he is. And, and can I tell you something? My oldest son looks like my dad. Not because he's trying to look like my dad, but because he looks like my dad. You see, you have to understand that Heather thinks like me and that Ashley has my OCD that none of them get up and try to be. They just are and so in the acknowledgement that he is the son of God, Jesus begins this ministry. And when Mary and Joseph could not find him, he looks at them and says, well, I have to be about my father's business. 
He just got up and started doing what he was called to do and being who he was called to be. And we hear Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We hear Jesus saying, I only say what I hear my Father saying. I only do what I hear my Father doing. We see Jesus teaching us to pray in our Father. He didn't say mine. He said our he began to ask us to cry out to the one who had sent him. You see, Jesus came changing the perspective of humanity's view of God. If you follow the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ, you see that he marginalizes no one. He judges no one. He receives sinners and saints alike that he restores people in the midst of their deepest, darkest hour, that he says you forgive 70 times 7, that he hangs on a cross and forgives those that are murdering him, that when you see Jesus, you begin to recognize that our view of God has been limited to religious critics, and that all of a sudden in the midst of religious critics and Roman occupation, the view of God is enlarged beyond anything we could ever have imagined. And it's interesting to me that the crowds didn't recognize him. The crowd said, isn't this Joseph's son? And they limited Jesus to what they could see and understand as having been born in a human capacity. The disciples, on the other hand, said, we have found the son of God. And the disciples followed the Christ because he fed them, did miracles and signs. And the disciples really thought that he was going to overthrow Pilate and remove Herod and take over the government of the world again. They were wrong. The crowds didn't recognize him. The disciples had a limited view of who he was. The demons, on the other hand, said, thou art the Christ. Thou art the Son of God. Isn't it interesting how demons knew who Jesus was? And they would fall in front of him and go, listen, why are you here already trying to torment us? Peter had a, had a spiritual knowledge of who Jesus is, right? He said, thou art the Christ. Jesus didn't, Brandon, good heavens, I just realized you were sitting there. Good to see you, son. Wow. Missed that young man. Um, uh, see, w w when you have as many sons as I have, you have to stop and think about it. Uh, Peter said, thou art the Christ. The Christ. He didn't say thou art the son. He said thou art the Christ, the anointed one, the one that removes yokes and burdens and berries, the son of the living, living. And he puts that word living. You're not the God of the dead. You're the God of the living. You're not like the pagan gods who are stone and wood. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And you don't get this understanding of who God is through observation, but you only get it through revelation. And he began to understand that Christ, this Jesus, and that's the basis of the power of the church, a community of people that are able to recognize that God is in the flesh and that when you can see that God is in the now and in the flesh and working through this thing that that's the power that will sustain the community of believers as they withstand the enemy this is my beloved son immediately upon that acknowledgement Satan come to steal kill and destroy the minute that the voice of the father said this is my beloved son Satan begins to go if you are the son of God turn these stones into bread you see the minute that your identity is revealed by the father of heaven the enemy comes to challenge that claim 
You see, the enemy is always challenging our claim to be a child of God. Well, if you were a real child of God, you wouldn't have had that thought. How many of you woke up this morning going, if you really were saved, you wouldn't be acting like, right? We are always challenged based on whether or not we're in relationship like this. That didn't stop. The challenge of Satan's uh, towards the sonship and the fatherhood uh, of the two goes on to the cross. They nail him to the cross and they say, if you're the son of God, bring yourself down from there, right? Can I tell you that the enemy will challenge your relationship with the father? The enemy will always try to drive a wedge between children and their dad. Have you noticed in the world today that around 50% of our homes today are living without their fathers? 50% of the homes in America are not living with their fathers. Can I tell you, the problems we're having in our society have very little to do with the laws that are being made in the White House. You can't legislate love. Did you know that? You can't legislate morality. You pass all the laws you want to. You can't make people love each other. It begins in the home. It begins here. If we don't alter the reality that's going on, 50%, I can tell you where most of the problems are coming for. We must recognize that it is the religious society that challenges the relationship that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Father. Why? Why is that such an absurd claim? They said He was blaspheming. Well, Let me take it back to this then and say it to you this way. Whether they like it or not, they're going to be about this tall. Whether they like it or not, their general formation is going to be this. See, the sons, the children, the daughters reveal the nature of their parents. That the nature of Quentin and Annie are in those four kids. And if Jesus really is the Son of God, then the nature of God is in him. The DNA is in him. The real being is in him. And if this is the Son of God, then he can do what God does. He can say what God says. He can be like God. Well, if a human being can contain the nature of God, then that human being can walk in the authority and the power. Then that human being is God on earth. And if the religious community accepts the fact that here is a human being fathered by God who contains the nature of God, then the religious system that they have described is obsolete. Because now you don't have to do these things when they say to do them. You don't have to operate the way. All of a sudden the law has lost its power and the institution is null and void because God can place himself inside of the flesh and suddenly there is God. You see the idea that a human being could be a child of God would rip the rug out of every religious system that is being spawned in human experience. We cannot allow the reality. Because if that's true, the identity of that man is God. And if that's God, then why aren't we all listening? Why aren't we all following? If that's true, maybe, just maybe, there could be more of them. If it's possible for one 
than is possible for another. In fact, if you read the Hebrew writer, it says that he leads many sons to glory. In fact, if you really understand where I'm going, you understand that once there is one son of God, there are going to be many sons of God. And that the gospel that I open with, I go to my and to your. That the entire purpose of the manifestation of God in the flesh called Jesus is to restore, renew, remake so that every human being can be restored back into relationship as being fathered by. That the DNA, the nature, Peter says, has given to you and that the old is gone and the new has come and the restoration of being in the image and the likeness of God and all the power and the fruit is available to you. But if that be true, every religious system now is no longer necessary. What's only necessary is that you receive the Son of God. Because if you receive the mere idea that God could live in the flesh, you have to accept the possibility that others too. So then you catch John's gospel in the first chapter saying, for as many as received him, He gave them the right or the power to become children themselves. If I receive the fact that God could spawn himself into humanity through the womb of a woman, if I receive Jesus, I've accepted the Father. If I reject Jesus, I've rejected the Father. But if I, am I making any sense? Say with me, Jesus Jesus. is the son of the living God. And that he comes to be a doorway through which all humanity could be reconciled. If we can acknowledge this. Well, let me, let me put it another way. There was this father who had two sons. A younger and an older. And the younger son understood that the older son was the son of position who would get two-thirds of the inheritance upon the death of the father. And the younger son is jealous of the older brother because he's going to get most of the inheritance. And so he says, just give me mine now. Sounds like a lot of people. Just give me mine now because I can't stand spending another day with the older brother. So just give me mine now and I'll go into a far country and I'll run my own life with what is rightfully mine. Give me my third and I'm out of here. And he goes off into the far country, right? Because he can't stand the fact that the brother is... Pause. And the older brother can't stand the fact that the younger brother might come back. Can't stand the fact that when the other brother comes to his mind and comes back home that God would give him a new ring and another robe and put him back in the culture. And yes, I know that the spin of the story is in many ways, but today I want to say to you that if you don't acknowledge him as your brother, you don't get to claim him as your father. And that the sub-story here is that you don't get to reject the son and think you're going to have the father. That to receive the brother is to acknowledge the father. You see, it is possible to live in the father's house and never really know the father of the house. It is possible to live in the whole spin of Christianity and never really get the value of being in the father's house is to love one's brother as thyself. You can say, I receive Jesus, I receive the Father, but then you can be critical of a brother. You know how many people don't come to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites here? 
You know how many people look around this room or around the church and go, you know, that person drives me nuts. That person has this habit. They voted this way. They believe this. They do this. Can you imagine taking two pairs of every kind of animal and putting it on a boat? And we know it was at least 40 days because it rained that long. We have no idea how long it took the water to go down. Can you imagine being in the stall beside an elephant? Uh Uh-huh. Can can you imagine that last month I was eating you to stay alive? And now I'm crammed in this room. And I'm about half seasick anyway because the thing... I can't stand the idea of a church. And we have all these people deconstructing the church because of the people within the church. Because they've seen things go wrong within the church, so now they deconstruct the church. Because, I mean, can you imagine being in where they, you you know, all that crap. But I woke up the other morning and I thought, you know, as bad as being in the boat with all of those animals is, it sure as heck beats being out there where they're drowning. Next time you go to criticizing a brother, just think of that. You you have to understand that the two sons had to figure out The father knew how to receive this one and he knew how to go after that one. And that we are called to acknowledge not only the father but the brothers in which we are sharing this life with. You know, this one's coming home to make a deal. I'll just be your servant. This one's coming here saying, I kept the deal. I've served you. And the truth of the matter is God's not looking for servants but sons. And he calls us friends. It's a whole play there that I could do about sons and daughters and friends. You see, the Bible says in Malachi chapter 2, have we not all one father? The reality is, is that 8 billion human beings are on this earth. Every one of them are created in the image and the likeness of God. Every one of them. Red, yellow, black, white. Every one of them. And the deeper I have fallen into love with God and understood His love, the more I understand that every one of them is my neighbor. Every one of them is my brother. That I have no ability to criticize, critique, determine who is or who isn't. That I am called to love them above and beyond any institution or calling that I may have as a human being upon this planet. That I am called to acknowledge it. And that the power of God is hindered today because we have failed to love each other. And we have placed one another in these rooms. And the truth of the matter is God is Father of us all. And that when we can recover The reality that if God loved us, he loved them. The Bible says if you hate him, you hate. You can't claim how great a love this is. 
that we might be called the sons and the daughters of God. And so Jesus comes to reveal that God dies for even those that murder him. And on the day of his resurrection, he said, I go to my father and to your father. Wow. To my God and to your God. Suddenly, everything that Jesus has is ours. For the Holy Spirit will take which is mine and give it unto you. Wow. I always thought, that's how I got a pink Cadillac. If everything's Jesus's, and the Holy Spirit takes everything in Walmart. Because if everything belongs to Jesus, then everything in Dillard's must be the Lord's. And, <laughs> everything that is mine, even my dad, I'll let you have the same relationship with my father. Anything you ask the father in my name. I'll give you this relationship that has loved me to the moment that he would come and raise me from the dead. Do you understand that the Holy Spirit comes to give you the relationship that Jesus has with the Father? Ask him anything. And now all of a sudden the same nature that is in Jesus. The same spirit that was in Christ when he was raised from the dead now lives in you. And it's not that you are mentally aware now that God is the Father. No, it's that you are changed. The Bible says transformed. That you're now more than Quentin born of Odin fathered by Mansell, but now you're a child of God and the very seed of God has birthed you and your DNA and you're ontologically different. And you're more than just a human being. You're a human being that now has been joined and united with the spirit of the living God and now all that God is, is you. This is not a mental religion. This is not a head experience. This is an ontological change that takes place when the Spirit of God breathes into you and you wake up and you go, I'm more than Peter. I'm more than Sally. I'm more than Bob. I'm a child. I'm a son of the living God. Whereby I cry, Abba, Daddy. And all that is his becomes suddenly... And he says, all I ask you to do with that is to love your brother, to love your sister. And today we get in arguments over who's in, who's out. Who's right, who's wrong. Who's good, who's bad. Can I just tell you, the more I realize that God has adopted me into the family of the Father, all I want to do, Dana, is just tell you that God loves you. And if he wants to give you a, another inheritance, if he wants to forgive you of what I think is the dumbest thing ever done, if he wants to give you a 35th chance on the 80th, that's his business. Am I making any sense? That the power of God is limited only by our understanding that he made every humanity
in his image. That he died for all of you. Wow. And that the only way people know the Father is through his children. And my hope is that maybe I might live as a child of the Father, just maybe, in a way that would help you to know Him. Because the only way to the Father is through a child. It's made me close my mouth. It's made me stop saying I'm one of them, or I'm one of them, or I'm one of that. Am I making any sense? It's just how, how can I love you? How can I be gracious to you? And if I'm able to do that, I can say the only reason I was able to do that is because the nature of the Father lives in me. Notice how quiet it gets in this place. Suddenly all our debates and our discussions seem rather petty, don't they? Hmm. Father's Day. To remember that God so loved his son, loved the world, that he sent his only begotten son. And his son comes and says, my father is your father. My dad is your dad. Wow. When tweeting takes the place of great teaching, the truth will be lost. Because it's only through telling of the story that we are transformed by the very metaphor of the story. So, there were two boys. One was the prince, the heir to the throne, the would-be king. The other was a shepherd boy who played a harp on windy summer afternoons. And they met on the battlefield in the face of Goliath. And the shepherd boy that played the harp, not really a good warrior, was able to take down the giant. And Jonathan and David's soul were knit together as one. And they loved each other more than any. And in the course of the events of their experience of life, Jonathan dies a horrible death. But Jonathan and Saul, who made a pact, a covenant, a declaration to one another, that even in our death, the other will love his children as he loves me. Thirty years go by, and now the David, the shepherd boy, is the king. And he realizes there's no one left for him to be nice to from the line and the lineage of Saul and Jonathan his beloved friend. And he painfully shouts, is there no one left that I can be nice, kind, and loyal to? And someone dares to whisper, king, 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 king. There, there is one. There is one. He's crippled now because when you ascended to the throne, he was five, and his panicked nanny ran out the steps, dropped the boy. The boy is crippled. But he's been down in Lodabar, but down there, for 25 years because he's afraid that you would hurt him. David sends the army down to get Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. And he brings Mephibosheth back to the king's 
palace and he restores all that was lost and he says, but you won't even need what I give you because someone's going to carry you to my table every day and treat you as you were my son. And he adopts the son of Jonathan into his family. And the spirit will come upon you and he will give you the spirit of adoption and you'll cry, Abba, Father. And you'll no longer be orphans because you'll be mine. I would never claim to be Jesus. But I would claim to be adopted by the Father of Jesus. To be carried into his presence. Not because I've deserved it or earned it, but because of the covenant that exists. I would claim today that that story of Jonathan David was but a picture and a metaphor into the reality of the Father and the Son and how the Holy Spirit comes and brings you into the family. I would say to you that God always makes known who He is by the relationship between the Father and His children. I would say to you that, son, there's nothing left to be said because I came for you. That all that's left. You see, we hit about Fredonia, Kansas. And my dad had said nothing. And I said, Dad, he said, Son, I came for you, didn't I? I was 17. I'll be 63. There was nothing left for him to say. But there was a life for me to live. And I have lived this life and hopefully continue because the Father loved me. He had nothing else to say. He's loved me. I'll close with this story. I heard a Baptist pastor tell this story in about 1986 or 7, Lakeland, Florida. Um, in, the, in the mid-80s, we were still trying to simulate the charismatic movement that had been poured out on America and the world in the 60s and 70s. And so Baptists and Methodists, Episcopalians were trying to understand what was going on. And this Baptist minister said, I was sitting in my table in my living room, one, in my dining room one day, and the Lord said, stand up. He said, I stood up. He said, I stood up. The Lord said, go to your front door. He said, I went to the front door. He said, when I got to the front door, the Spirit of the Lord said, run to the end of your driveway. He said, I ran to the end of my driveway. He said, when I got to the end of the driveway, the Spirit said, turn left and run to the end of the street. He said, I ran to the end of the street. When I got there, there was nothing but a pier that went out into the ocean. And he said, the Lord said, run to the end of the pier. He said, when I got to the end of the pier, the Lord said, jump. And he said, I jumped. And when I hit the water, I turned, and there was my nine-year-old son holding onto the pier. Can I tell you something? The Lord never tells you your son is drowning. The Lord says, stand up. The Lord says, run. The Lord says, jump. The Lord says, go to the school play. The Lord says, go to the ball game. The Lord said, go wash the cars at the car wash. The Lord says, Send your kids to children's camp. The Lord says, change that diaper in children's church. The Lord says, no, you can't do that because that's not good for you. 
The Lord says, no, you gotta go to bed. The Lord calls you to make one decision at a time. The Lord doesn't tell you that your children are in the end of the pier drowning in the culture that has lost its mind. The Lord just tells you one, I've got a son that's 40, can I tell you? It's just been one, do, do that. He never gave me the end of the story. He just told me to jump, Dale. When he got done with the story, he said, come here, son. And a young man, I suppose, in his 20s stepped up. He said, son, tell him what you said to me when I found you at the end of the pier. 21, two years old, said, I looked at him and said, just waiting on you, dad. I knew you'd come. See, if you're the son, just hold on because he's coming. If you're a child, you just trust in the faithfulness of the Father. Because the Father is faithful. His mercies are new every morning. And he has come for you. Tweeting has taken the place of great teaching. And only storytelling can touch your heart. I tell this story and these stories on Father's Days in no small regard because it helps me to say thank you to my own father. I tell these stories because it helps me to connect you to the reality that Jesus said, my father and your father. I tell these stories because some of you just need to jump. I tell these stories because some of you just need to keep holding on to the pier and waiting on the father. Tell you these stories because some of you may never biologically father a child, but every one of you are a spiritual father. I tell these stories because at sometimes we can lift up motherhood a few weeks ago and fail to realize that it takes two. I tell you these stories because every day when we come back to this table, we remember the relationship between the Father and the Son and the presence of the Holy Spirit that has grafted us into the family of the Father and that we live with brothers and sisters to whom we are called to love, to honor, to value. That if we do, maybe the world might see God in us. all you dads. Thank you. But just keep jumping. To all of you sons, just hang on. He's coming. 
Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time.